championship video of all time so far after six or seven years is the trophic cascade video and I, I somehow neglected showing it last year so I'm feeling like at a great loss so I, I, was, I was determined that whatever I was going to do today I was going to fit in the trophic cascade video uh, but it really does fit because it talks about something happening at the top of the food chain that that cascades down and this morning we're going to talk about rhythms and routines rhythms and routines we're we're learning from Jesus about his leadership we're just trying to examine how he leads and say well if he's leading this way then we need to follow that lead and then we need to lead in that way as well and so we're going to talk about rhythms and routines and we'll follow up on this in just a moment One of the most exciting scientific findings of the past half century has been the discovery of widespread trophic cascades. A trophic cascade is an ecological process which starts at the top of the food chain and tumbles all the way down to the bottom. And the classic example is what happened in the Yellowstone National Park in the United States when wolves were reintroduced in 1995. Now, we, we all know that wolves kill various species of animals, but perhaps we're slightly less aware that they give life to many others. Before the wolves turned up, they'd been absent for 70 years, but the numbers of deer, because there was nothing to hunt them, had built up and built up in the Yellowstone Park, and despite efforts by humans to control them, they'd managed to reduce much of the vegetation there to almost nothing. They'd just grazed it away. But as soon as the wolves arrived, even though they were few in number, they started to have the most remarkable effects. First, of course, they killed some of the deer, but that wasn't the major thing. Much more significantly, they radically changed the behavior of the deer. The deer started avoiding certain parts of the park, the places where they could be trapped most easily, particularly the valleys and the gorges. And immediately, those places started to regenerate. In some areas, the height of the trees quintupled in just six years. Bare valley sides quickly became forests of aspen and willow and cottonwood. And as soon as that happened, the birds started moving in. The number of songbirds and migratory birds started to increase greatly. The number of beavers started to increase because beavers like to, to eat the trees. And beavers, like wolves, are ecosystem engineers. They create niches for other species. And the dams they built in the rivers um, provided habitats for otters and muskrats and ducks and fish and reptiles and amphibians. The wolves killed coyotes, and as a result of that, the number of rabbits and mice began to rise, which meant more hawks, more weasels, more foxes, more badgers. Ravens and bald eagles came down to feed on the carrion that the wolves had left. Bears fed on it too, and their population began to rise as well, partly also because there were more berries growing on the regenerating shrubs. And the bears reinforced the impact of the wolves by killing some of the calves of the deer. But here's where it gets really interesting. The wolves changed the behavior of the rivers. They began to meander less. There was less erosion. The channels narrowed. More pools formed. More riffle sections, all of which were great for wildlife habitats. The rivers changed in response to the wolves. 
And the reason was that the regenerating forests stabilized the banks so that they collapsed less often, so that the rivers became more fixed in their course. Similarly, by driving the deer out of some places and the vegetation recovering on the valley sides, there was a soil erosion because the vegetation stabilized that as well. So the wolves, small in number, transformed not just the ecosystem of the Yellowstone National Park, this huge area of land, but also its physical geography. Okay, so the wolves, small in number, had a cascading effect, a trophic, a giant cascading effect that immediately started affecting, let's say, like the deer population, but then it, it went all the way down, sort of like to the bottom of the life of this area, the Yellowstone, to the riverbeds. And so I would suggest the reason, the, the way I've used this, lead, this video before is in leadership. If you introduce the right number of leaders, they can be a few in number, but they can have a great effect, which I think is true. But today I want to say, if you introduce the right rhythms and routines in your life, and I'm suggesting they're small in number, they have a huge effect and cascade down through your life. And they reshape everything about your life, and they particularly reshape your soul. So last week, we looked at this quote by Andy Stanley about vision, having a vision. And he says this, everyone ends up somewhere in life, few people end up somewhere on purpose. So a vision is a preferred future. I look out ahead of, uh, and say about myself my family, my church, my business, whatever you want. And you say, I would like for it to look like that. I prefer it to look like that. So I've got to change some things. I've got to do some things now for, to end up in that particular place. And he says, You're, everybody's going to end up in some place, but not many people actually live, go there on purpose. They just say, well, I just kind of arrived. And I would say that you end up somewhere on purpose whenever that vision gets translated back to today to rhythms and routines. You've got to change something today that begins to say, that puts me on the path to this preferred future. So I'm going to look at this today, and I'm going to look at Moses, and then I want to look at Jesus. So we're going to start with Moses, and we're going to look at Exodus chapter 16. And I find this absolutely fascinating how God operated here uh, with the life of the people. So you know the story. Moses is the one who has saved Israel or the Hebrews out of Egypt. They've been in slavery for 400 years. So just try, just try to think. Our country's 225, 240 years old. 400 years of sla slavery. 10 plus generations. Think about the the weight, the psychological weight that's moving forward in the, in the lives of these people. It's hard to even, hard, I mean, we all think sort of independently, freedom. Those are things that come up if you're an American. But that's just 200 years of effect. Imagine 400 years of this effect on your soul. And God sees the problem. He introduces Moses as his man to come save the people. And in Exodus chapter 14, the people cross the Red Sea. You know this story. 
They get to the other side, Exodus chapter 15. They have this great celebration. And then in Exodus chapter 16, what I find very fascinating is the very first thing God does for the people after the celebration, the very first thing he wants to do for these people after 400 years of slavery is to introduce a rhythm and a routine to their life. He's going to have to totally reshape their their lives, their physical lives, their mental lives, their emotional lives, their spiritual lives. And so God says, in order to do that, the very first thing I have to do, although they're few in number, I've got to introduce these new routines, these new habits for these people and get them into this new way of life. So let's just read a few passages here and you'll see what I'm talking about. Exodus 16, 4 through 8 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. We all know this is manna. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. So you're going to go out every single day that that I'm going to test them whether they will walk in my ways or not. And on the sixth day, they're going to bring in what they need twice as much as they gather daily. And we'll see why that is in a moment. So Moses and Aaron uh, said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what we are, for, for what are we that you grumble against us? These people have been grumbling that they haven't been getting enough food. And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against, against him. So every morning bread, every evening meat is going to come, mostly in the form of birds, quail. So you just see immediately we're establishing a morning and evening routine. It's as if to say, when you start out your morning, I want you to know you got up this morning because of the Lord. You're fed this morning because of the Lord. Then you're going to work a whole day, just like you and I. But then in the evening, you're going to have another routine that's going to remind you that really everything's come from the Lord. I I don't want you to go out. I don't want you to get up in the morning and say, okay, Lord, I'm for it. And then I lose you through the day. He knows that's a possibility. So in the evening, there's another routine. So you book in your day saying, okay, I started with the Lord. Everything starts with the Lord. Everything terminates on the Lord. And I'm going to have this daily routine. This is new for me. Now, the uh, second routine you see here in 16, verse 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it each one of you as much as he can eat and you shall take an omer this is a certain measurement according to the number of persons that are in your tent and the people of Israel did so and they gathered some more some less but when they measured it with an omer whoever gathered much had nothing left over whoever gathered a little didn't lack anything each of them gathered as much as they could eat and Moses said to them let no one leave any of it over till the morning So you can't carry it over in the morning because you're going to have to trust the Lord again for the morning. You're not going to hoard. You've seen this uh, Discovery Channel show, The Hoarders. I mean, you're not going to hoard. It's not going to look good. 
Why? Because maggots and stuff are going to get into it. And of course, they didn't believe the Lord, so they hoarded it. They've come out of slavery. They're used to a different way of life. And in the morning, they, 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 it stank and it had worms in it. So you're going to have to trust God every day. You can't, you can't have one giant quiet time on Monday and think it's going to last you until Sunday. You hear that? It's got to be every day. You have this morning and evening routine. And then in verse 27, on the seventh day, some of the people went out and gathered, but they found none. Why? Because he wants them to gather just enough, enough for two days so they can have a Sabbath. See, verse 28, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So you have a morning and evening routine every day. You have a weekly routine where you do something different on the seventh day. So that's a routine. Psalm 121.4, the Lord never slumbers or never sleeps. And maybe a few of you need to know that verse. You sleep. And your sleep helps remind you that you're not in charge of everything. That for eight hours a day, which is a third of your life, you're going to let the Lord run the world. And one day out of seven, you're not going to have to work because you're going to say, it's going to be a way of reminding you to say, the Lord's running everything. You know, you know this, if your computer's going bad, and you say, I don't know what's wrong with my computer. You call up the technician. Hey, I've got something wrong with my computer. What's the very first thing they say every single time? Turn off your computer. Let it sit for like 30 seconds turn it back on. And a lot of times just turning it off resets it somehow. Magic, I think it is. And then it works. You know this. That's just like our bodies. There's a time that you just have to stop and things have to get reset in order for you to enter back into the world. And that's the way the Lord is having it. You have a, a morning and evening routine. It's about the Lord. It's not about the, the rest of your life. It's, it, it's, it's few in number. I'm not saying your morning routine lasts eight hours and your evening routine lasts another eight hours and you sleep eight hours. That's not the way it works. And then you have one day out of seven where you say, I'm, I'm carving out this one day to get away from work and to really just plug in and rest in the Lord. The, the morning and the, the rhythm and routines of your life the morning and evening routines of your life, what are they? We're going to ask that question in a moment. Probably they tell you something about what's at the center of your life. So if you just think, what's my morning routine? You have one. So I wake up, my phone's on my nightstand, I pick it up, immediately I'm on, on my email, got to answer several texts before or emails before I get out of bed. Then I've got to take care of myself. Got to go to the bathroom, take a shower, got to get something to eat. And then I got to go to work. See, if that's my morning routine, it informs me about me. So what, what is it? And I want you to know whatever it is, it's actually shaping your soul. It's not just happen to be habits, 
those habits, those routines are shaping like the riverbed of your soul. They're, they're flowing down to your soul and, and helping you determine this is who I am. This is what I think is valuable. This is what I think is important. Let's look at Jesus, Mark chapter 6. If you were to travel around with Jesus, one of the first things you would notice is he's a man of rhythms and routines. That would become immediately apparent just after a few days with him. In Mark chapter 1, you see he keeps the Sabbath, 121. And when they went into Capernaum, this is Jesus's sort of adult hometown, immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he was teaching. This is the routine. This is the routine that got established in Exodus 16. This is a 1,500-year routine that Jesus is keeping. When it's the Sabbath, which for them is Saturday, I'm going to go to church. That's what I do. I'm going to unplug from my other things, and I'm going to be with the Lord, and I'm going to be with the people of God. I have this weekly routine. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. It's a critical Bible verse for every leader. This is his morning routine. It's shaping his soul. And the disciples know it because they have to get up. They get up late and they got to go find him. And they say, oh, he's gotten up early. And before anything else has happened, he's plugged into the Lord. He's got a morning routine. And the reason he needs to plug into the Lord is because he's, he's going to have all kinds of noise come at him. And particularly on this morning, it's, hey, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. And you might feel that way when you wake up in the morning. Everyone's looking for me. Like, I can't get away from all, these, all this noise. It might be in my head. It might be coming from my phone. And before he does anything else, he, he plugs into the Lord. And then let's look at Mark chapter 6, which I think is really an important passage. Verse, starting with verse 7. In, from 7 to 13, if your Bible is sort of marked out in some way, there's probably a title at verse 7. It says, Jesus sends out the apostles. So these guys have been following around for a little while. He gets these 12, and then he sends them out two by two, and he gives them his authority. And he gives them a charge. Don't take anything with you. Just trust the Lord. Uh, and he gives us some instruction. When you enter the house, uh, stay there. And they, they're supposed to proclaim the gospel, that people should repent. They're going to heal people. And they go out and they do all these things. And incredible things happen. And then you notice in verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him what they had done and what they had taught. Now, just imagine, hey, guys, you're going to go do this. And it's going to take you two weeks. I don't know the time. It doesn't say what the time frame is. And each of you are going to spread out to these different towns. James and John, you know, you're going to go over here. Matthew and Peter, you guys are going to go over here. I'm going to send these guys out two by two. I'm giving you my authority. You're going to do the things that I've been doing. And you're going to teach people. And great things are going to happen. And imagine this little reunion. They all come back to Capernaum probably. Imagine the stories. Imagine them sitting around a campfire and, oh, man, that happened. Will you? This happened to us. They're, they're talking and talking, and they've had so much success and energy. They just can't wait to tell each other, and they can't wait to tell Jesus. Verse 31, and Jesus said to them, 
in the middle of all this noise, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. In the middle of all this success, Jesus knows something. Success can be very addictive. Success can be very dangerous. Success can be very disillusioning. And if you're just chasing after success and you never come away and get away from success and just plug into the Lord, then you can get warped in your leadership. And Jesus sees they're not going to be able to do it on their own. So he's helping them. He's like the coach saying, okay, guys, you're not going to run this lap on your own, but you need to run this lap with me. So he pulls them aside and says, let's be together. Let's be in a desolate place. A couple of years ago, I listened to a leadership podcast about a book that probably was a good business book. I'm not trying to bust on the book, but I'm going to bust on the title. Title was called Platform. And then the subtitle, How to Get Noticed in a Noisy World. And when I was listening to the podcast, I thought, is that what we really need? We, we need to know how to get noticed a little bit more in our world. Is that the goal here? And, of course, it was talking about, you know, there's all kinds of noise and how you get your name out there and all that kind of stuff. And I just thought, um, what was Jesus' platform? It's his rhythm and routine. That's what he operated off of. Everyone knew it. Every no, everyone knew his daily routine. Everybody knew his weekly routine. And he's trying to form his disciples to say, guys, if you're really going to do what I want you to do, if you're really going to be effective, if you're going to do eternal work and not just temporary work, you're going to have to have these kinds of routines in your life. Otherwise, you could really be successful, but in eternity, it all gets burned up and doesn't mean anything. And nobody wants to live their life that way. So you've got to establish these routines. There's a recent study that I read, and it talked about uh, the effectiveness of your hours at work and trying to calculate the maximum number of hours you could work with maximum effectiveness. And this was one study, and, but this is what they said, is that when you work 50 hours, you get about 37 hours of productivity out of that 50 hours. Does that make sense? So you're going to the bathroom, you're chit-chatting, you're doing stuff. You just can't work at the same pace for 50 straight hours. So 50, you get about 37. Then they noticed if you worked 55, so I'm, now I'm moving up to, I'm working six days a week or I'm working nine, 10 hours a day. The productivity went to 30. So the more you worked, actually the less overall real productivity had. And of course, they're just going to conclude that there's some level you can't do anymore. And Jesus, of course, is saying the same thing to these disciples. Hey, at some level, you got to unplug to be really effective. There's a book that I read on spiritual disciplines, and it says this, when we keep pushing forward without taking adequate time for rest and replenishment, our way of life may seem heroic. You've probably been in these discussions. Oh, you're so busy? Oh, wait until you stop talking. I'm going to tell you how busy I am. 
Well, you think that's busy. Well, wait until you stop talking. I'm telling you, it's just like it's like it's like you put on the busy badge. You want everybody to see how busy you are. You got your phone out and you can't even get off your phone. I mean, you're just so busy. And it seems heroic, but it says there's a phrenic quality to the work. And you're not really effective because you're not present with the Lord. You're not present with other people and you don't see reality correctly. You have a phrenic pace and other people might be, wow, they're really busy but you're never really present with those people. And you're never really present with the Lord to know how should I interact or intersect this particular place. And I don't see reality right. I look at the situation and I see things, but I really don't see them from God's perspective because I don't have any routine in my life that's helping me in that way. Then they go on to say about this physician I discovered in medical school, if I saw a patient when I was tired or overworked, I'd order a lot of tests. I was so exhausted, I couldn't tell exactly what was going on, so I got in the habit of ordering a battery of tests, hoping the tests would tell me what I was missing. See, I'm hoping for an outside voice to inform me of what I can't see because I'm so busy. But when I was rested, when I had the opportunity to get some sleep or take a quiet walk, then I, when I saw the next patient, I could rely on my own intuition and experience to give me a pretty accurate reading of what was happening. When I was rested and I came into my family or I came into my business or I came into my marriage or I came into my church or whatever it is, when I was present with God, I could accurately see things. But when I'm not, I've got to rely on some outside voice because I, I haven't taken care of my own soul. I haven't taken care of myself. Last part here. Jesus had daily, had weekly, had yearly routines. Le- Le- Leviticus 23, we won't turn to it, but it outlines seven different celebrations or festivals or days, special days during the year seven. Seven in the Bible is a number for completeness. And they're all around the the calendar. So in case you get a little bit warped somehow, you're going to stop for a day or even a week and say, I'm going to plug into God. I'm going to have this in my yearly calendar. So just I'm just asking you to think, what's your daily rhythm and routine? You ha- everyone has one. I'm just asking you to identify it. And what does it say about you? What does it say about you, what you value? What's your weekly routine? And do you even have a yearly routine? Do you even think about that? Or you just go, well, I'm not, Paul, I'm week to week. I'm, de- I'm moment to moment, you know? How do you live? Now, let me, let me just make one more comment here. When Jesus came... He didn't come just to give you and me eternal life, which is, that'd be enough. That'd be awesome, right? Nobody's saying that's not good enough, but he also came to tell you how to live your life right now. He isn't saying, hey, I'm going to just give you a a ticket so that when you die, you got the ticket and then enjoy your 80 years. He's going to say, no, there's a way you're supposed to be living your life right now. And if you're a leader 
You're supposed to have a vision. You're supposed to have a preferred future. So you're leading your whole family somewhere. You're leading yourself somewhere. You're leading a business somewhere. Whatever it is, you're leading. And you're telling, you're informing the people who are following you how you're supposed to live life right now. So everybody here who's a husband or, and or a father, you're informing your family, this is how you live right now. You're not just saying, hey, we got a goal out here and we're going to get to that goal. You're also telling them, here's how you healthily live right now in order to get to that goal. Now, I'm not very effective at this, especially at home and especially when I was a little bit younger. Not that I'm old right now. But Nancy would say to me, Paul, you live, and, and a few of you probably will be able to relate to this. You live like life is just around the corner. And, as, and you say this, as soon as, is this a common phrase for you? As soon as I get over, get by, finish this, then I'll be happy, satisfied, rested, relaxed, joyful, all the things she was looking for. But guess what? When I got around the corner, guess what I found? Another corner. I mean, my straightaways were about this long. And she just noticed this total pattern of you're always living in another place. So Paul, you're never really present with me right now. Always somewhere else. She found this advertisement, which is really great for a guy. So it's a great BMW advertisement. Happiness is not around the corner. What is it if you're, if you're in a BMW? You want the corner, right? You don't want a straightaway. Your life, men, is today. It's not as soon as iron leadership gets over. It's not as soon as my weekends. It's not as soon as this, I get this big project off my plate. This, this is it. This is your life. And you're informing everyone around you how to live right now. And you may be saying how you live right now is by living in the future. That could be what you're saying, which would be a bad message. But you want to help people understand by your own rhythm and routines, I'm alive and I'm available to you right now because I don't know what is around the corner so I'm not going to live around the corner I'm going to live right now and the way you do that is you just look at Jesus and you look at Moses and you say you have a rhythm you have a routine we're going to take a few minutes to get in groups here uh, and the first thing I want you to do is just say, just go around the group, everybody answer this question, my one takeaway is, which might be the answer to the third question, that's fine, but just, I want everybody to say something first and say, if I don't, if I forget everything else, here's the one thing I, that I think God called me to, to listen to and say something today, and then you can kind of go through the questions, all right? Ready? Break. <laughs> 